thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful. Answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, If you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action. And that's the Hebrew word Shema. Isn't that so good? Don't you love those videos? Everybody say Shema. All right, that's a word you're not going to want to forget. Well, I want to just say Happy Canada Day weekend to all of you. Aren't you grateful to be Canadian? I'm so grateful to be Canadian. And if you're not Canadian here today, we want you to know that we're so happy you're here too, because this really is a great country. Well, we are starting a brand new series this morning. My name is Pastor Lori, for those of you who don't know me, and it is called The Best Summer Ever. Now, Take a guess who picked that title. <laughs> definitely, definitely, because it's going to be 
the best summer ever. And listen, why it's going to be the best summer ever is because if we can begin to harness the power of our words, if we can actually begin to understand who God is and appropriate the power of who God is in our lives, it truly will be the best summer ever. So we just need to start speaking that over this summer. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know there's always stuff. There's always stuff that we're going through, but God does not change in the midst of our stuff. And if we can focus and understand the fullness of who he is, we truly will have the best summer ever. So this summer, we're actually going to be unpacking 11 powerful words. And this morning, I'm going to unpack the first two of those, Shema, and the second one is Yahweh. So it's going to be a great message. Well, we have a tradition in our family around the power of words because we do actually believe in the power of words. And so every time one of our kids or anyone in our family has a birthday, we actually take time to speak words over them. And we do this in all kinds of different ways. On their 13th birthday specifically, we actually ask people who are influential in their life, who have impacted them in a certain way, and we ask them to seek God for a word for their life and come together and we gather together and we speak those words over our kids at the age of 13. And it's been absolutely incredible to watch because now all four of my children are over the age of 13 to watch those words come to pass. And I actually go back sometimes and read those words, read the words that people spoke over them, and it... It truly blows my mind how these words that people spoke over them as they grow and mature in the Lord, that these words are actually coming to pass. But that is the power of words. Pastor Rhonda and I actually have a new podcast that we started about three months ago. It's called the Awakening Moments Podcast. And actually this week, we are releasing a new episode all about the power of words and the power of these blessing parties and how you can do them in your small groups, with groups of friends. You can do them anywhere. So if you're interested, you can check that out. We're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, or you can find us on Podbean, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram to find out where it is, to how to find the podcast. But Awakening Moments podcast, we're going to be unpacking a little bit more about that specific topic. Well, I'm going to just jump into James 8, verse 10. Sorry, James 3, verses 8 to 10. And it says this, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, my sisters, this ought not to be so. So our first word that we're going to unpack is called Shema. Say Shema again. How powerful is it to have a word that not only means to listen, to listen, to give ear service, to let things go into your ear, but actually to, that means to listen, to respond, to give attention to, to focus on, to take action, to obey, to follow, to keep a covenant. How powerful is it to have one word that encapsulates all of those words? I just described so many different things in our English language, and this one word encapsulates 
all of those words in this one word. I wish we had a word like that in the English language. In fact, I know that if we had a word like that in the English language, I would be using it all the time at home. Shema, shema to me, shema, you must shema me. <laughs> Honestly, but listen, I think we should bring it into our English language. I think we should just bring it into our homes because just like the same way we want our kids to shema us is exactly the same way that God speaks to us, his children. He wants us to shema him. He wants us to listen, to give attention to, to focus on. He wants us to act. He wants us to obey. It is such an important word. And I think, honestly, if we really, really thought about it, and I don't know, I, I don't want to make any excuses here if it's because we didn't really, really understand, but how often do we pick up the scriptures and we read God's word and we don't shema, we just listen. We just let the words go into our ears and that's it. We don't do anything with them. How often do we come to church on Sunday and we listen to a great message and we're inspired and we're encouraged, but it ends right there. We just listen. We're just listening to the words. They go into our ear. Maybe they swirl around in our mind for a little while, and then that's it. We don't really shema. And so for every single one of us today, I want us to think about this word and the deep, deep meaning of this word, shema and what God is asking from every single one of us. You see, words have power. And I believe, I believe with all of my heart that if we can understand this word Shema, and if we can actually begin to live out this word Shema, it truly will be the best summer ever. Because words have power. Now today, in our day and age, it's getting harder and harder and harder to listen. Almost every single one of us have a smartphone in our hand, almost at all times. And it is a constant distraction. It is hard for us to really, really listen. I know with my kids, I find it very difficult to compete with the phone because there's constant messaging, constant information coming to them even as we're trying to have a conversation. Maybe that's actually why they can't shema me, I don't know. The phones are a problem, but I know even just me, just in my nature, I'm an easily distracted person. When I'm getting ready to do a task, I can get easily distracted by something else that's going on, and then I, I start into a, a second task before I'm finished the first one, and then something else catches my attention, and I start on that. I know some people call that multitasking. I don't know. Usually, I do make my way back to the first task and end up completing all the tasks, and I definitely find that a more interesting way to complete things, but I notice that I'm easily distracted, and I remember one day, a number of years ago, the Lord convicting me of my easily distracted behavior because I was not only doing this with tasks, but I was doing this in my relationships with people. I'd be talking to somebody and something behind them would catch my attention and I'd kind of look away and then I'd think, oh, I got to talk to that person. And I was distracted in talking to people. And this, this idea, this conviction came on my head and I had to shema. I couldn't just listen. I had to do something. And I felt like the Lord said, this is not okay. These are my children. 
You need to give them your full attention. And so I began to do a practice, a discipline of just looking people in the eyes when they're talking to me, of giving them intense eye contact. I know for some people, some people have actually said to me, you give really intense eye contact. <laughs> and I say to them, it's on purpose because I'm an easily distracted person. And so when I give you my eye contact, I'm giving you my full attention because I know that I can be easily distracted. So if you don't like intense eye contact, don't come and talk to me. If you do, then come and say hello. You know I will be giving you my undivided attention. But I think for all of us, we can think about this because the truth is there are beautiful people all around us. There are incredible, incredible stories. And you know what? They deserve our full attention. They deserve our focus and our attention because there's so much beauty that's happening all around us. It's so, so important. Proverbs 4, it says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all of their flesh. Shema, or listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That's Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. And I want to tell you the secret to having the best summer ever, the secret to the fulfillment that your life is longing for is found in this scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with everything you have. Love him first, and I promise you that everything else that you're pursuing for the fulfillment that you think you want will fall to the wayside. You will find it if you put God first. If you shema and you love him with all your heart, your mind, and all your strength, all of those other things, all of those other things will be added to you when you put God first. All right, um, but we're going to move to the second word. I know that's quick. We're moving through quick. I'm actually putting two messages into one because I really, really wanted to start with shema, but we're going to dive into Yahweh as well. And so Yahweh actually means Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Lord. We're going to show another video similar to the one we just showed just to unpack that so because they unpack it so, so well. But before we show the video, I just want to pray because there is a revelation, an understanding about God giving himself a name. God giving himself the name I am, I always will be that we need. And it is not an understanding that we can just receive with our mind. It is something that the Holy Spirit has to reveal to us. The power of God giving himself the name Yahweh. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask in this moment, you are the revealer of all truth. So we ask you in this moment to help us to understand what it really means that God gave himself the name Yahweh, the name above every name, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. What does that really mean for us in our relationship with the one true God? Would you bring that revelation to our lives this morning? We ask in Jesus' name. All right, let's watch the video. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the second key word here, Lord, written in all capital letters. This is the personal name of Israel's God. We first learn the meaning of this name in the story of Moses and the burning bush in the book of Exodus chapter 3. God appears to Moses and he commissions him to liberate the Israelites from slavery. And so Moses wonders, what if people ask the name of the God who has sent me? And so God responds, tell them, Ehyeh has sent me to you. Now, that Hebrew word Ehyeh means I will be. In other words, God's name means that he is the one who is and who will be. God's existence doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. This God simply is. But it will sound kind of strange for Moses to go say to the Israelites, I will be has sent me to you. Only God can say, I will be. So in the next sentence, God tells Moses the version he should say aloud, Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, he has sent me to you. Now, that word Yahweh is the ancient Hebrew form of the verb he will be. And this is the personal name of the God of Israel. It appears over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Now, here's what's interesting. Over the centuries, Israelites wanted to honor the sacred nature of this divine name. So as they read the Hebrew Bible aloud and they came to this name, they stopped saying Yahweh and instead started saying the Hebrew word for Lord, which is Adonai. Now this practice has been continued throughout the centuries and so later when people started translating the Bible into English, they adopted the same practice. Instead of spelling out the divine name, they translated it as Lord spelled in all capital letters. Okay, you got that? Good, because there's more. Ancient Jewish scribes wanted to prevent anyone from even accidentally saying this name aloud when you read the Hebrew Bible. And so they came up with a visual device to remind you to make sure you say Adonai. They took the four consonant letters of the divine name. These letters correspond to our English letters Y-H-W-H. Then they inserted the three vowels from the word Adonai and combined these together to create an artificial hybrid word, which if you pronounced it, it would say Yahuwah, but no Israelite ever said Yahuwah. It's simply a visual reminder to say the word Adonai. Now, it gets more interesting. Much later, Christian scribes came along who didn't know that Yahuwah was an artificial word. And so they began to say it aloud and spell it in their writings. This is the word that eventually entered into English as Jehovah, it's a word many people still use today. But the main thing is, the word Lord in all capital letters is an indication of the divine name. Don't confuse it with the word Lord in your English translations that's not in all capital letters. That is the actual Hebrew word Adon, which just means Lord or Master. This word can refer to people like kings or the master of a servant, even a shepherd over his sheep. And sometimes biblical authors will use this word to refer to God, like in the phrases, the Lord of all the earth or the Lord of lords. But behind all of these words, Yehovah, Lord, Adonai, stands the original divine name of the God of Israel. It refers to the one who was, who is, and who forever will be.
isn't that amazing? Doesn't that bring your scripture to life? I mean, I know for me, when I learn things like that, when I open up the Bible and I see the all caps L-O-R-D, I want to cross it out and write Yahweh just to remind myself of what that truly means. John Mark Comer said this, so God has a name. And just to clarify, it's not God, it's Yahweh. That might sound unimportant, like it's just semantics, but trust me, it's not. The fact that God has a name is way more important than most of us realize. I would argue that it has the potential to radically alter the way we relate to God. John Mark Comer wrote a book called God Has a Name. And so if you want to unpack this more, you can pick up his book and read more about it. Well, names matter. They matter because they are spoken words. When we speak out a name, we're speaking out a word, and that has power. And God revealed himself in a name for a few reasons. First, his name is different than all other gods. Of course, I'm talking about the small g gods in this way. In the Old Testament, a god, a small g god, was an invisible but a real spiritual creature, an idol was a representation of that god and could be carved or made into some sort of statue. But these idols, they represented a small g god, a some sort of supernatural force or being. And sometimes for us in today's day and age, it's hard for us to grasp this idea of the supernatural world or the supernatural forces that are at work that we can't see because they're literally invisible to us. We can't see them with our natural eyes. But the truth is every single one of us can feel the effects of what is happening in the supernatural world. And all throughout the Bible, we see the small g gods, and we see that they actually can have power and authority over people, the power and the authority that those people give to them. And sometimes we even see that there is a spiritual force or a power or an authority even over a geographical area, and we see that at work even today. I mean, our testimony today, Ellen, Uh, spoke about it just in a very, very small way. In the New Testament, there is a continuity of this idea, although it's unpacked using some different words. Words like strongholds or powers or principalities. And we see in 2 Corinthians, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We know that we don't war against flesh and blood, that our battle is not against another person, but our battle is against a supernatural force. And so when we pray, we need to speak pray around those supernatural forces because we're not to go and we can't actually overcome in flesh and blood. We literally need to pray and break what's happening in the supernatural that is controlling that situation or those people. Now in Acts 17, Paul is in Athens. And it says that now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Have you ever been walking around your city? and your spirit was provoked, maybe you saw something, maybe you were watching news, maybe you read something, an article or something in the paper, and your spirit was literally provoked, like you actually were overcome, you were concerned, you were burdened, you couldn't believe what was taking place. The truth is that all around us, there are things that are taking place that should not be 
And sometimes it's so overwhelming when we take on the burden of what has happened, when our literal spirit is provoked about what we are seeing that is taking place all around us. And I just want to remind you this morning that there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer that it can feel like in a moment that we're so helpless to do anything. We can feel literally like in a moment, what power do I have to stop that from happening? What power do I have? We have the power of prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer because God is at work all around us. The story continues like this. So Paul is standing in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God, Yahweh, who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Aren't you thankful that our God no longer lives in a temple, but his spirit literally is inside of every single one of us? His presence is all around us. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You see, Paul uses the name of God to refer back to Yahweh. He doesn't say that all God's small g, God's powers or principalities are false. He profoundly just claims that Yahweh is exceedingly greater than all, that actually all mankind, life and breath and everything that exists comes from the one true supreme divinity over all, Yahweh, the name above every name, the God above every God, the Lord above every Lord. An incredible distinction for some who literally worshipped the unknown God to a God who made himself known to his people. He made himself known because he wants to be known by us and he wants to know us personally. Secondly, He is above. He is greater. He is the one. He is the true God who wants to be known personally by you and by me because he created us literally for worship. And this distinguishes our God from every other God, every other small g God. God is Yahweh, the God above all things. So Jesus comes on the scene. He comes literally in the form of Yahweh, the fullness of God, but in the form of a man. And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Imagine. They were with him physically in his presence, and they still did not have the revelation. You see, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the fullness of who God is to us. And even in this moment, literally tangibly, he could have touched him, and he didn't see it. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? 
Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So what does Jesus continue doing from this point? He continues doing all the things that Yahweh does. The supreme divinity, he shepherds, he heals, he is there, he upholds righteousness, he provides, he brings peace. He is their banner, master, he is greater than every demonic power or principality. And we saw in this video that Yahweh originally meant he will be. He is and he will be. It literally is a proclamation for all of time that God is and will always be. You see, this is an exciting truth for us. And this truth can actually transform radically our lives. Because Jesus wants to be for you the fullness of all of his power. His spirit is living in you. Therefore, you actually have within you all that you could ever possibly need. Are you ready for this? Jesus will be your advocate, your lamb of God, your resurrection and the life, your judge, your Lord of lords, your man of sorrows, your head of the church, your master, faithful, true rock, high priest, the door, the living water, the bread of life, the rose of Sharon, the alpha and the omega, the true vine, the Messiah, the teacher, the holy one, the mediator, the beloved, branch, carpenter, good shepherd, light of the world, image of the invisible God the word, the chief cornerstone, the savior, the servant, the author and finisher of your faith, the almighty everlasting father, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace, the bridegroom, the only begotten son, the wonderful counselor, Emmanuel, king of the Jews, prophet, redeemer, anchor, bright and morning star. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, he is for you and for me. This is personal. This is personal. Listen to what Jesus prays for us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and you and I and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is what Jesus came to bring. Oneness with the supreme Yahweh, the most high God. He wants us to be one with him. The name of Jesus is different than any other name. You see, God has a name, and his name is fulfilled in Jesus. This was the master plan for all of time. Jesus came literally to reconcile us to relationship with him. He sent his only son to die for our sins so that we could be made new, so that we wouldn't have to do the work of earning our salvation. So literally, by a gift of grace, that we could come to the Father 
and receive the fullness of all that he is for our lives. It was a gift of grace. His, his purpose was to redeem all things, all the pain and the brokenness and all the things that you have gone through and been through. He came to redeem those things, to make them new, to give you peace and to heal you. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we literally become one with Yahweh, our most high, powerful, supreme God. It's very personal because God literally created you for worship. Everything we could ever hope for, everything that we ever could ever need is found in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. And so the question I have for you today is, will you Shema? Will you listen and respond Will you pay attention? Will you take action? Will you obey?